Good morning. Welcome. It's good to see everybody, and uh, hopefully you got a little more room uh, as we gather together. Um, we still are doing the same things with sign-ups, and several have asked, and so let me remind you, um, we're still doing the separations of uh, with masks and masks with exceptions, so we still have to do that by law in case you have an exception or you have children or those that may at some point not be in a mask. And so that's why you may see it a little different. We may separate again, like we said before, and do more front and back so we can even things, but uh, until we get this back down and know uh, where more people are going to attend, uh, that's why we still did that here this morning. Let me begin with just a few announcements. We do have several families that did travel for the holidays and in faithfulness uh, called and said that they would not be here just for the sake of quarantine for a day. They wanted to make sure they didn't come back and, and bring things with them. We also had a few that were sick. And so let's remember uh, Cindy Fries had called and said she's not feeling well. Uh, the Bedminster's Zinnia said she wasn't feeling well either. And so we want to continue to remember not just now with all that's going on, but even normal sicknesses. Let's not forget uh, that we don't only have to pray for COVID, that people get sick all the time with other things, and we need to continue to remember them as well. Uh, let me also remind you that uh, next week, we said we would try to set it up. It is going to work out. Eric and Anna uh, Graham are going to be here in the evening if you're able to come. They are some of our missionaries that we support in Bogota, Colombia. Uh, they are back in the United States right now and visiting some of the churches, and they're going to come and share with us their ministry and what they've been doing down in Bogota, Colombia. And so that will be next Sunday night at 6 p.m. So we've set it up to where if you have youth and you're going to come to youth group or whatever is going to happen, you can still come, come here in the service. Uh, it is a normal service since it is being advertised out, so please bring your mask just like normal. I'm not sure uh, how long they're going to want to take or do that, but they would love to share uh, Eric and Anna. So please, if you have some opportunity, come and support them. These are our missionaries that we send support to, and they're working hard sharing the faith and establishing youth work and churches in Bogota, Colombia. And so that'll be a blessing, but that's next Sunday at 6 p.m. And so please put that on your calendar. Uh, and also, I, I handed one out already, but some have asked about membership. And so obviously with several of our new families and those of you coming, if you are interested in membership, there is a little brochure that we put on the table back here under the welcome sign. Uh, for those of you who maybe joined our church and didn't know that, there is a little form you can fill out that has the five questions of our church, what we ask everybody who joins. We are a confessional church. Uh, that might be new terminology to some, but to mean confessional is we truly believe that everyone who joins the church in membership confesses certain things about who Jesus is, what he has done for us, how we've been forgiven, and how we plan on living. And so that's what brings us to a common covenantal understanding of working together. And so if you're interested in that, please pick one up. It's not a commitment, but you can look through that, fill it out, and I'll be glad to follow up. Because we're hoping before long that I'll be able to do a pastor's class for those who are interested. Even if you've already joined but never been through a class that explains what it is that separates our church from other churches... Uh, we'd love for you to come and be a part of that so you would better understand our church and, and what it means to be a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. And so those are exciting times as we move forward. Um, but other than that, uh, we, again, we want to welcome everybody uh, here this morning as we do our two services. Uh, we'll try to keep you up to date. We've had several people ask, especially those of you uh, that are at home, uh, that said, well, how do we know how many people and all that? And so we'll keep you up to date. We had a, about 100 and five people again signed up today. Um, so if everybody comes and others bring extras like before, it's a blessing to have two services so that we're able to spread out uh, at this point in time to do that. So hopefully in our prayer, I know Nick and I have sat down and spent time together praying. Our number one goal through all this 
as I shared with the elders at the very beginning. Let's not be the same church we were when we went through this and start. And when we finish, let's be a lot better, stronger, and hopefully larger so that we can continue to reach people and let God get the glory that even through a pandemic, God is continuing to bring people to himself. And isn't that a blessing? And so let's be reminded of that. And so I welcome you. Let's open in a word of prayer. I'll invite you to join with me. And then we'll call us to worship. It is the beginning of Advent season. And so I'm trying to get some of our elders and deacons and leaders. I may call upon you if I need, if you're willing to read uh, throughout both of our services. And so as people attend the different ones, uh, we'll be able to have them come and help us in lighting of the Advent season. And so be prepared uh, in your hearts and minds. That is the Advent is the sign, the word for the coming of our Lord that you would begin preparing your heart this season, not only for his coming, but for his coming again. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your love, uh, for uh, the grace that you have bestowed upon us here at Grace. Uh, Lord, I am so thankful uh, for the hard work that so many individuals and the patience that so many individuals have been through to help. Uh, Lord, just to keep your church moving forward here on earth. Lord, we realize that the church has no walls and that you live through your Holy Spirit in the hearts of your children. And Lord, that we can gather together, whether it's online watching, whether it's here in person, whether it's at home Bible studies, through with prayer on Zoom. Lord, we've learned that there are so many things we can do to be able to support one another and encourage one another through this time. But Lord, we've also come to realize that we are in such need of dependence upon you. Lord, help us not to focus on all the answers and solutions that the world seems to be giving us. And let us focus on our true need. Our need to be right with you. Our need to be close to you. Our need to be healed by you. Our need to be born again. So that, Lord, regardless, we come to realize that we're just passing through. That our eternity is set. Our relationship is right and all that we are set to inherit is kept and protected by you. Lord, all these things we come humbly to the throne of grace thanking you for and praying together as one as you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me call us to worship. You'll see there from Revelation chapter 15. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Uh, Brother Neil Allen is going to come and lead us in the lighting of our candles. And so if you would take just a moment as he comes to light those, and then we'll move to our confession of faith and prayer. Good morning, everyone. This is uh, week one of our Advent. And as we begin our Advent season in the lighting of the candles of hope, peace, and joy, and love, each candle will bring us closer to the time when we recall Jesus' birth, as well as his second coming. Isaiah reminds us in chapter 9, verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them 
the light has shined. And Matthew 25, 13, Jesus tells us concerning his return, to watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which a son of man is coming. May the Lord use this season to draw you and your family closer to him. Today we light the candle of hope. This candle of hope is to remind us to prepare our hearts and minds for the coming of our God's, of God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is our prayer through this season, we will trust that Jesus is our hope. Now we have the privilege again to confess our common faith together. Today it's from the Westminster Confession of Faith. So let's, uh, let's recite this together. The purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. What a comfort that is, God's faithfulness. He preserves his church as weak as we are, and uh, the difficulties that we endure he is the one who causes us to endure. Now let's confess our sins together by using the prayer that's in your bulletin. Let's pray together. O oh, Almighty God, you brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. We acknowledge that we are unworthy of your redeeming grace. We have not believed your promises nor trusted our living Lord. In our worldliness, our eyes have been kept from discerning his presence with us. Our hearts have not burned within us as we have heard his word. We have not trusted in his redeeming power and have been overcome by evil. We have forgotten the glad tidings of his victory over death. We have not known the things that belong to our peace. But now in penitence we come to you, calling out for your forgiveness. Mercifully grant us deliverance from all our sins Restore unto us the joy of your salvation, for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as we've confessed our sins, as we've called out to mercy, listen now, hear now, and receive the promise of forgiveness, our assurance of pardon. From Micah seven eighteen. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Brothers and sisters, that is our hope in Jesus Christ, his steadfast love, his perfect life, his atoning death, and his resurrection. So be comforted, be at peace that your sins are forgiven as you look to Jesus Christ. I hope that you brought your Bibles with you this morning, that you could follow along as we come to this time of Advent. There's going to be not a sermon series, just through one book, and so I want to take you on a journey. Uh, I've asked Nick uh, to fill in, uh, so in a couple weeks, Nick will be bringing us one of the messages of Advent, and so I encourage you uh, to follow along with us as we continue in the journey of hope, peace, joy, and love. This morning, I want to focus on hope, and I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of First Peter. First Peter is a book about maturity and suffering and discipleship and trust. It's all about the power of God as we work through our trials and that Peter writes us about maturity. But this morning I want to speak to you about there is still hope. And this morning as you follow along and taking notes, I want to take you on this journey because we're living in a time now more than ever 
that people understand the importance of hope. For many of us are finding ourselves living in a world where we're desperately struggling to get through from day to day. Each night you could turn the TV on and watch the broadcasts of how many more families have had to close up shops, how many more families have been let go from work, how many more children have gone without eating, without the school systems, how many more children have been abused, or how many have not even been able to get online and families are struggling to go home, work and juggle with parents. There's so much that's going on, it's easy in today's time to find ourselves in despair, disgusted, and in some cases, just despising what's happening. And when you turn to a world that's living in a hope that's not like our Christian hope, we find ourselves continuing to struggle with hopes that are disappointed. And so this morning, I want to begin to share with you here in 1 Peter chapter 1 the importance that one of the reasons or several of the reasons why we're struggling in dealing with a lack of security or hope is because we're living in a world that's compromised because of sin. Yes, we're living in a world that is watching lives being conquered because of our continual struggles. And yes, we're constantly working out through the confusion of whether or not we truly are saved and whether or not we're really going to heaven. Oh, the questions that are asked so many times by children make it point blank. Dad, how do we know it's real? How do we know it's going to work out? How do we know that things are going to be fine? You see, when you live in a world that doesn't understand hope, we find ourselves constantly leading to despair. And it's in that despair that we cry out and realize that there really is hope. I want you to know this morning that there really is hope. There is still hope today. Not the hope that the world offers, but the understanding of what Christian hope really is. It's not the worldly hope in which we're guessing, awaiting, and taking a chance that something will work out. No, If you understand the biblical reasoning for hope tied together with faith and trust, it is the confidence or the assurance that God fulfills his covenantal promises. That's what we mean as Christians when we say, I hope Christ returns soon. It doesn't mean, well, I wonder if it's even going to happen. It's a definite that it's going to happen. It's a matter of when. I hope God answers this prayer. Oh, he'll answer the prayer. Maybe not according to your will. But it will be answered in his time because he is a covenant-keeping God. And for people who understand that solid trust and hope and faith in the power of God, we realize that even in today's situations, we're enabled to go on. I encourage you here in 1 Peter, read with me as Peter writes to us about a hope that does work. A hope that promises that all things can work out together for good. And yes, it is a hope. That whatever your sin, whatever your struggle, or whatever your confusion about salvation is, there is still hope. Listen to what Peter writes us beginning in chapter 1 and just a few verses beginning in verse 3. Some of your Bibles may have headings. Born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power you're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now he adds this, in this you can rejoice, verse 6, though now for a little while. I want you to highlight that in your mind if you don't write in your Bibles. Because the entire understanding of hope is that our struggles only last for a while. Our tribulations are for a while. Our sin only has to be for a while. Our struggles for a while. But our salvation is for eternity. If necessary that you have been grieved by these various trials. Let me give you this hope here this morning. If I could run through it, give you some stories of Scripture, and hopefully you will be as excited as I am as I find myself refreshed on a daily basis, needing to know that there is an end to this struggle. And not just the struggle we're in today, but the struggles we face all the time. There is a living hope. First of all, write this down. The living hope that we have in Christ is a hope that brings restoration from our past sins. That's what it means when he's talking about in verse 3. Blessed be the God of our Lord and Savior. Blessed be this God who has caused us to be born again. It's the understanding that we are being restored from our past sins. We are being born again. We're being made new. We're dealing with the problem that has separated us from God. We're dealing with the ramifications of a world that's been lost in sin. We're told even in Corinthians that even creation longs to be redeemed. It too has been affected by sin. We're living in a world that's constantly surrounding us, entangling us, and chaining us to this understanding of sin, which keeps us captive, which therefore causes us to live a compromised life. What if my sin gets known to others? Do people really like me for who I am? What if they understood some of the things I've really done? You see, we live in a world that has helped us compromise who we are because of the sin that we've committed. And so God, in causing us to be born again, works this Holy Spirit, this regeneration in our hearts. He changes our heart's desires. He works from the inside out. We wake up one day and out of the middle of nowhere and all the preaching and all the things we've heard over the years that never seem to make a difference, all of a sudden as if our heart has been yanked out, reworked, regenerated, put back in, we're ready to serve God. We're ready to go forward. We realize that we're no longer caught up in a a compromised situation of sin, that our sin can no longer hold us down. There is a living hope, and that's what this means when we are born through Christ to a living hope. We're no longer dead to sin. Stop living like a dead person. Stop just making it through from day to day. Stop living as though, well, the sun will come up one more time and it'll go back down. It'll be another day. Stop trusting as if the rotations of the earth around the sun is what's going to bring you happiness, is what's going to help overcome your confusion. It's not the sun up, sun down. It's not the rotations of the world around. What matters is that you have a hope in someone who has brought you life. We have dealt with your sins of the past. You have been born again. Live like you've been born again. Stop living that compromised lifestyle. Listen to what he tells us. It's according to his mercy that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. As Christ has risen from the dead and he took that punishment of sin, so we too are to be raised from the dead. 
dead from our sins. We no longer have to live that lifestyle. Rejoice, he tells us in verse 6. You can actually be excited that your sins have been forgiven. The trials are only going to be temporary. There is a place reserved for you. Yes, there is hope today. Why? Because you can live again. Your sins have been dealt with. Let me give you some examples as we go through Scripture. You can go to the Gospel of John chapter 8 and read the story of the woman that's been caught in adultery. It's an amazing story if you've never read it before because we all can identify with the things that we've done in life. And when we go back to the old story of the scarlet letter, I can imagine that's how she felt as she was drugged before Jesus in the courts, the Sanhedrins and the Pharisees and Sadducees. And she was mocked because she was caught in the act of adultery. Oh, it wasn't just rumors that had been told. It wasn't just rumors that had been started. It wasn't just a frustration from a husband. It wasn't just people who were trying to get even. This was someone who was caught in the act of adultery. Drugged before Jesus. You can imagine what her whole life would be. Tagged and ridiculed now with the scar because everybody knows her sin. Does everybody know yours? Are you living that secret, compromised life? Because you're afraid that your sins will get out? Is it because the forgiveness of God is not great enough? Is it because you don't rest assured in his cleansing power? Is the image that what other people have of you greater than what God says about you? Why is it that we live a compromised life without hope just because of sin? When Peter writes us and he says, listen, folks, God has caused you to be born again. He's the one that took the action. He's the one that took the initiative. He's the one that did the work. This wasn't because you came to a realization of your greatness and went to God and said you were sorry. This is because God sought you out. This is because God wanted you. This is because God has a plan for you. This is because your life is precious to him. You have a living hope. There is still hope for you today. Just like Jesus, as he reached down in one of those questions we will always ask when we get to heaven. I've said it many a times, I'd like to ask the Lord, how in the world did you do this Trinity thing? Boy, that's, that's always befuddled me. How in the world did you speak through human agents and guarantee us the truth? And then I might try to get my third question in real quick and say, what is it that you wrote in the sand? that caused everybody else to leave. And for you to say to this woman, your sins have been forgiven, go. There is hope. It's not just in the story of the woman. Listen to the story of Samson. As you know the story, as he gave in to his pride and his own desires, and he gave in to a woman who caught his eye, and she was beautiful to him. And the story unfolds that as she worked his way into his heart, it was all about being deceived. And he put his guard down like so many of us do. We all know the elders who are no longer serving today. The deacons who have given up hope. The ministry leaders who have stepped to the side. I could go down countless numbers of occasions in which our own pastors, because they're human, have found themselves on the sides of ministry because they put their guard down. And it only takes a minute. It only takes a minute for people to lose hope. 
Well, Samson came back crying to the Lord, found himself, catch this, shackled and chained to the pillars of a coliseum, his eyes gouged out as a ridicule and a mockery for the entire city to see what happens to someone who says they have a power and a God that nobody can see. Do you remember what he did? Lord, one more time, just one more opportunity. I will bring you glory if you'll give me that power. If you don't know the rest of the story, I'll let you go back and read it. But God gets the glory. The Colosseum comes down and the people are punished. Why? Because his sins could not keep him from bringing glory to God. He is an everlasting, ever-forgiving God. And as he restores the woman caught in adultery and to the man who put his guard down, so he restores you. You do not have to live a compromised life. We could finally go on and on and on, but you know, you know the story better than I. There's nothing like dealing with a flop. And Peter was a flop. Three times. He didn't let his guard down once. He didn't have to face it in the eyes of persecution, beating, fires, pits, lions, spears. Three times. In a row, in the same night, to the same people. He just couldn't let go of the lies. And he'd have to live a compromised life for the rest of his time, right? No, because the same God who said to the woman in adultery, Go, your sins are forgiven. The same God that said to Samson as took his eyes off of him, your power can be restored. Is the same God who said to Peter, I will use you to build my kingdom. You don't have to live a compromised life. You don't have to be held down by your sin. No, we see it here. There is living hope. Folks, let's put it this way. There's living proof that God is a God who forgives. Place your faith in the power of God And you shall be saved. You shall be born again to a living hope. But it's not just that you can have your sins dealt with in the past. It goes a little bit farther. We also realize that a living hope brings us victory over our present struggles. Yes, I've already dealt with my sins. Sometimes people share their testimonies, though they're proud of it. You know, I'm excited when I hear your testimony, but please don't be excited. Not because you're not excited about the forgiveness of sin, but sometimes I think we want to be excited about the old life we used to live. And we revel in it. Oh, man, back when I was a kid, you ought to known what I'd done. If you'd have seen all the people I'd beat up, man, if you'd have seen the people I'd run over, the people I'd bu- the cars I hit and left, never told people. It's like we we're reveling in this horrible life we used to live. And then Jesus saved me. And then where's the excitement? Shouldn't the excitement start When? After you say, God, I don't know how many people I had beat up and hurt and scarred and changed probably for life. And I don't know how many people I lied to. How many people thought I was someone totally different than I was. My life was just in a shambles and a wreck. But God saved me. He caused me to be born again. 
And now my life is so different. I have this living hope because I realize the sins of the past don't hold me down. I don't have to live a compromised life. And better yet, I have this living hope that gives me victory over my present struggles. It's not just about dealing with my past. It's about the present struggles. You are more, Paul writes in the Romans, than a conqueror. You're already victorious. You've already won the battle. Celebrate now. Celebrate now. You're seen as a child of God. You're an heir of the king. You've got an eternity waiting for you. Don't mope around. Live like the king he's called you to be. It's through his resurrection. Listen to what he says. We have a living hope that is through the resurrection of Christ. It's through his life, not his death. Folks, now be careful how I say this. I'm not saying the death of Christ isn't important. We needed our sins placed on Jesus. Sin needed to be atoned for. But it was the resurrection that brought assurance of power. It was the resurrection that brought the proof of God's acceptance. It was the resurrection that showed that sins will not separate us from God. And your struggles because of sin, cannot separate you from God. You are more than a conqueror. Your struggle is only for a while. That's what verse 6 says. In this rejoice. What do you rejoice in? The fact that you've been born again. The fact that we have a living hope. The fact that we have an inheritance that's been saved for us. And the fact that our struggles are only temporary. There is an end to this. Every week, as we anxiously await the information from our States leaders, county guides, we find ourselves in anxiety sometimes saying, what's going to change this week? What's going to change next week? We're constantly finding in a struggle, a tension bound between the two. But let's just make it easy. As I've told everybody I've talked to, folks, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. I know this is weird for me. I'm 52 years old. I look only 40, I know. But man, it's been a long life at times. But I'll tell you, this year has been, it seems, the longest in mine. It's because sometimes I humbly tell you, I look for a hope and an answer from a worldly leader. I find myself sometimes placing more hope in a decision that a local ruler is going to say. Rather than realizing, wait a minute, this is only temporary. They don't control this. They're going to wash back and forth on the waves of the ocean. They're going to find themselves in sinking sand. They don't know the colors of what's coming next. The truth of it is, my hope is not in them. My hope is not in how we overcome this. My hope is in the one who has saved me, covered my sin, and has given me victory over every struggle we've ever faced. It's not just a pandemic I'm worried about. You've got victory over struggles. Resurrection victory. You've got living hope. Colossians Chapter 3 says this. I'll turn to it. You can follow along if you want to. It's the small little letter that Paul wrote uh, there to Colossae. And here it says, listen to these words as Paul writes. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now listen to this. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. The struggles are only temporary. Your focus should not be on the little things that are happening here. It should be on the kingdom events that are still going on. Can you imagine how many people are going to have a testimony that they were brought to Christ 
cause to be born again and given a living hope in the middle of a generation when a church was shutting down? Can you see the power that God has when some are going to be saved through a time in which nobody else wanted to share, nobody wanted to talk, nobody wanted to get together? We were instructed to leave people alone. Don't get near them. Be careful. I can't imagine sometimes in my own prayer life as Jesus walked on the shores of Galilee and the people came to him plagued with sins, plagued with diseases. They were deemed untouchable. They were cast out from society. I can't imagine the words the disciples would have heard in a pandemic time like ours when Jesus would have said to them, Are these the one you neglect? Are these not the ones we were sent to save? Are these not the ones that I came to minister to? Do you ever hear Jesus' words ring in your mind? I came to seek and to save the lost, the hurting, the diseased, and the sick. You see, we live in a world where the struggle just mounts up, but I want to give you living hope today. I want you to realize that you shouldn't be captivated by the worries of this world. Yes, you should be smart. Yes, go by guidance. Do things that are safe. I'm not asking you not to do that, but I'm asking you to have a living hope. Not a hope that's got you caged up, carried away, lost in despair. We've seen it on the TVs, the national news. Folks, Christy went to a conference these past weeks. Our own administrator as churches are dividing up services because, you know, the number one people that are getting out and coming to worship are the senior adults. Do you know what populace of our population is supposed to be most affected by the virus? Isn't that amazing? That the people we should be cared about most, worried about most, that we're told affects the most are the same ones that are coming out by the groves around the nation in the PCA churches. I'm not telling you to come out. I'm not telling you to do different. I'm telling you, folks, there is hope. There is a living hope that says we should not be placing our trust in the things that are going on in our struggles. Listen to what happens. It wasn't just the woman in adultery because of sin or Samson because of sin or Peter because of sin. There are some of us because of our struggles. It's the woman who was bleeding for years that reached out in the confidence and faith of Jesus Christ to just touch his cloak. Do you remember the story? And the power flowed from him. And just the touching of his garment, he looked to a crowd as if he didn't know. He said, who touched me? Just the touch, the hope that this is the only one that can truly bring me through the struggle in life. Is your hope in God? Is it the same hope that Joseph had when it was not because of sin, but because of his obedience to God? That he was put in Potiphar's prison because he resisted this wife and to commit adultery? That he stood up for what was right and so he was being punished? He was mocked, ridiculed, put into the cells? Is that the kind of life we live? Are we chained? Are we struggling? Are we finding ourselves being imprisoned for doing what's right? Well, I give you hope because it was the same Potiphar who pulled him out of the prisons, interpreted his dreams, and put him at the second highest in command of all of Egypt. Oh, there is hope. Oh, Jacob, we were told in his re- reuniting with 
Esau. You can go to the 39th or 33rd chapter and following to the story of Jacob as he spent his entire life running from his brother. Do you remember why? Do you remember what Jacob did that was so bad? He even had his mother entice him to do it. His own mother said to her son, go in, deceive your father, lie to him, and steal your brother's blessing. What belongs to your brother, you can take. And he lived his life from that moment on. You go back and read the story, running. He ran down to his uncle Laban. He ran from his uncle Laban. He found himself at the river Penuel where he wrestles with the Holy Spirit. You wonder why the Spirit takes his hip and knocks it out of joint. Well, maybe you finally understand the truth of the story. It's because Jacob puts his whole family on the other side of the river where Esau is coming to meet him. He's scared to death that his brother's armies are going to kill him and get revenge. He's lived his life in a fear and struggle of overcoming his sin and what he had done to his brother. His whole life seemed to be constantly running. Oh, and before I give you the answer, maybe you've done the same. From one relationship to another. From one career to another. From one church to another. From one ministry to another. Because you realized you were wrong. It was easier to run than to trust in God. You see, a living hope says stop running. So the spirit takes his hip, knocks it out of socket. He can no longer run. He's forced to face Esau, his brother. And do you remember what happened? Do you remember the story? Jacob crosses the river, puts everybody in front of him, and Esau comes to embrace him. To give him an old pandemic hug. No. He embraced them because there is a God who has living hope, who overcomes our struggles, who takes us through the trials and the temptations that we face. Joseph, in the last chapters of Genesis, after going through all the struggles that his brothers had put him through because of their bitterness, jealousy, envy, and strife, as they sold him into Egypt and he spent his life rising to power, do you remember Joseph's last words? As his brothers begged for forgiveness, he said, you're going to pay for what you've done. Oh, no. He said, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. There's a God who brings living hope. That not just because of our sins that we've been through that keeps us in a compromised lifestyle, but because of our struggles that's constantly chaining us and keeping us back, there is living hope. There is living proof. That God works through our struggles. We're more than conquerors. Again, place your faith in God and be saved. Oh, finally, let me tell you this. Blessed be the God and Father who caused us to be born again. He deals with our sins. Yes, there is a God who says that provides us protections through our struggles. And yes, there is also a God who brings certainty to our salvation. You know, in the gospel, John, he writes in the very first chapter, I write these things that you may know you have eternal life. You know, one of the biggest things the devil does in us is cause us to doubt our salvation. Because if we doubt where we're going to end up, 
we begin to doubt why we should live a certain way. You see, it's what we believe about the future that truly determines how we live today. It's what you believe about what God's going to do in the future that's going to change your behavior today. Do you believe God is going to reward you as he said he would? Do you believe he's going to judge sin? Do you think he's going to separate the sheep from the goats or the wolves? Do you think he's going to separate the righteous and the unrighteous? It's not what you do today that earns your future. You don't earn that right. It's what you believe about the future that determines how you live today. John writes, you can know for certain you have salvation. Listen to what it says in verse 5 or 4. You have an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled and unfading. And you know what? It's kept in heaven for who? For you. Oh, I don't have time to preach a whole other sermon on that, but I'd love to tell you about the warehouse of heaven. Oh, I truly believe it exists. And I believe when you get to heaven, he's going to take you to his warehouse. It's beyond the streets of gold, beyond the pearly gates, down past the choirs. In my house, that first mansion I've told you about. And beyond that down... You'll go to the place where there's this big warehouse and you're going to go to that warehouse and you're going to go down all the shelves and they're going to be named every person in heaven and on earth. And you're going to look for your name because you're going to wonder what it is. And when you ask Peter, the one who guards the gates, or maybe the Gabriel, the angels, or the archangels that are there governing it, you're going to say, what are all these gifts? He's going to look at you. And you're going to see your name. And he's going to say, well, those were the gifts I had given you throughout your entire life. Well, how come I have all these gifts? How come my shelves aren't empty? Well, you know, this was the gift of compassion that I was willing to give you when your neighbors were so upset and so bitter and your heart was aching and you needed forgiveness. All you had to do was what? Ask. Man, what's that big gift? I mean, what, what, what was that's that gift of love and assurance for all those times in life when you began to doubt because the devil would jump on top of you because you would sin, you would lose your temper, you would tell a small white lie, you'd stretch the truth, people would get angry, you'd get mad and pout and go your own way, and you'd find yourself lonely, disgusted, depressed, in despair. I had all this love bundled up. All you had to do was what? Ask. You see, there is a heaven. It's reserved for us. It's unfading. It's unperishable. Everything you would ever need to get through this life, to know that your sins have been forgiven, your struggles can be overcome. There is a living hope that says the certainty of your salvation is kept there for you. Nothing can take away what God's got waiting for you. No event in this world. It's a living hope that brings such a certainty that we realize even in living proof, people could stand up for their future. I won't belabor you with all the stories again, but I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, you can burn me up, cook me up, and serve me up all you want to, but it's not going to take away my banquet in heaven. Oh, you can fire up all you want, put me in there as long as you want. But I'm not going to bend the knee because I've got a supper waiting for me. Oh, Daniel can say the same thing. Throw me in there. Let the lion have his feast. It's not going to change mine. No, because I've got a place right next to the head of the table. 
It's a place that's been reserved for me at the wedding feast. So when the bridegroom comes, no matter what you do to me here, I have a place right there. Kept for me. And when I love this part, verse 5, who by God's power, it is being guarded. Folks, it's not your faith that makes all these things work. It's your faith in God's power. It's his power. It's his ability. It's him doing it. All you have to do is trust. The simple placing your faith to where finally you have Simeon. You will not see death until you see the son born. When he was born, Joseph and Mary brought him to the temple. Simeon grabs the child. It's almost like the Lion King expression. Raises him up. This is your king. Oh, it's an amazing story. Go back and read it in Luke chapter 2. Let me just give you this before we go. In Luke chapter 2, these are the words of Simeon that ring so loudly of one who has hope and saw it come to fruition. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Here's what he says. Uh, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents had brought the child to Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, listen to this. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your words. All that you had in store for me, I am at peace. I am at peace. I am certain that this living hope has taken away my sins. It's helped me overcome my struggles. And it's brought certainty to my salvation. Oh, I can only say to you again, place your power or your faith in the power of God and be saved. There is living hope. There is living proof that this is a God who has planned and prepared for you a wonderful salvation. There's no more confusion. There is living hope, living proof. And mark this down. If you place your faith in the power of God, he can purify you from your sins, protect you through your struggles, preserve your inheritance with him. I encourage you, be born again and enjoy a living hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful hope that you have caused us to have. Father, as we find ourselves challenged in each generation, 
Father, you have proven throughout history, living proof, that our forefathers, our prophets, have all experienced the same thing. And yet they placed, as Hebrews 11 says, their faith not in the things of this world, but in you. Father, help us to place our faith in your power so that we are no longer confined by the sins that we've committed. We're no longer being overcome and captured by our struggles. And we don't have to be confused about where we'll spend eternity. Father, we give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the benediction. Paul simply said, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, have a wonderful Lord's Day.